you're carrying today. You're in an atmosphere where miracles are becoming commonplace. You're in an atmosphere where the move of God is becoming very, very common. And I am thankful to be here today. Is anybody glad to be in the presence of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you be seated today? It has been an unusual service to this point. You all have responded very well, and God's presence is definitely here. I I think that you'll be happy. This is famous last words, but you'll be happy to know that my sermon itself is not really all of that lengthy. The problem is going to be getting to the sermon. And, and that's, that's where we're going to run into difficulty. But I'm going to do my best to be aware of the clock. I know that's a preacher's famous last words, but I am aware of the time and the way the service has gone today. However, I must testify. I told the Lord I would, so therefore I, I must. That's why I say that. But to add to the four miracles that Pastor has mentioned, Dawson woke up yesterday extremely sick, very, very nauseated, and I was finishing my preparation for this sermon, which as this unfolds, you'll understand more. And I took that in my spirit as a direct attack on what God has, this word of God that he has for us today. And so uh, we began to pray. We laid hands on him and prayed in the name of Jesus, began to curse that nausea, that sickness. And he immediately fell into a very deep sleep and literally slept for for many hours, but it was a peaceful sleep, and that's what we were really praying for. About six o'clock last night, he was better. He wasn't quite where I wanted him to be, though. So I laid hands on him again, and I said, Lord, and and the Bible talks about when Jesus did some of his miracles, he said from the self, or the word says from the self-same hour. And so I, I said, Lord, I want you to heal him from the self-same hour, this moment that we're in. And within five minutes, he got up, he began to play, he began to go around about his normal routine. And, and, he, and if I'm being honest, he wasn't, still wasn't 100%, but he woke up this morning feeling great. And he's right back there sitting with his Emmy. And I am thrilled that he is in church with me today to hear the word of God go forth. So, yes, miracles and signs and wonders are happening. I want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Murphy. I would not be here today without their voice in my life, and I mean that with all of my heart. And we know how blessed we are, I think. But in case anyone here has forgotten, we have the best. And I love my pastor with all of my heart. I give honor to Brother Merrill and Sister Christy. I couldn't couldn't help but think about it. Brother Merrill and I go way, way back, and way back in those Baker Church days, we both began to feel the call of God on our lives, and Pastor began using us around the church and developed that, and so we made a pact. We agreed to start fasting, and we met every Monday night in the sanctuary of the church and prayed for God to use us. Now, the thing about that is, is somehow that prayer would morph into God sending us each a wife. I don't know exactly how that happened, but it did. And here we stand today, Brother Marilyn. Both of those prayers have been answered, haven't they? <laughs> Twenty-some years later, we, we, have a, we have our wives, and we have God using us in ministry. And so I couldn't be happier, more excited, thrilled. The future is bright. God's going to use you. You're going to be bold and do mighty exploits in the kingdom of God. I'm standing among giants today, these, these other men on the platform, Brother Brian Tier, 
I, you guys, I, I just don't know. You, I don't even know what to say. You guys are amazing. Now let's preach. The, uh, the thing you have to understand about this sermon is I was scheduled to preach on August the 14th of 2016. So we're one week shy of one year ago that I was scheduled to preach. And I plan to preach a, this message. It's a version of this message. I've since edited and tweaked it some as God led me. But this was a, essentially the message I was going to preach. I never got to preach that message because you may remember on August the 13th, the whole world went underwater. And uh, we just did not, I don't know, I don't remember how long it took to have church again in, in the sense that we're having it now. And things changed for all of us very, very dramatically. And so I want you to understand that. I want you to know that because here we are a year after the fact, just about, give or take. And it, God has brought it all into line for me to preach this message today. All that's happened, all that's going on. I, I, I can't say that I know what God's going to do. I wish I did. But there is a reason that I'm here today preaching this message on this date to this group of people. And so I want you to understand that as we, uh, as we move forward. I'm going to preach out of Psalm 121. And why don't you just stay seated today? You, you, it, it's, as I said, you've been up and down. You've done an awesome job. But just stay seated. And, and we, I know that we understand, we ex- re, uh, respect and admire and revere the word of the Lord. I want to read the text from Psalm 121. Psalm 121. The psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And now I want to read the first two verses in the New Living Translation to give context to what I'm wanting to present. The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains and understand that this next phrase is a question. Does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God, which made heaven and earth and mountains. My title today is The Difficult Ascent. The Difficult Ascent. Mountain climbing is a very difficult and risky undertaking, as I'm sure you appreciate. Physical stamina, courage, strength, maybe even a little luck go into the art and the physical uh, exertion of climbing a mountain. They say that Mount Everest is littered literally with bodies of those who started the climb and never made it. They can't get them out of there, and then with the snow and ice, literal monuments preserved to the uh, task and, and sometimes the, the defeat of trying to climb a mountain. An example of how difficult mountain climbing can really be is found in the story of Malcolm Daly and Jim Donini, who attempted to climb Thunder Mountain in Alaska. 
in May of 1999. They found themselves that day 3,000 feet. Now picture this, 3,000 feet up the face of the mountain, hanging there just a few feet below the summit. Daly offered to let Donini go first and experience the joy of being the first one to reach the summit, but Donini demurred and let his partner have that gift. Daly climbed towards the summit then, swinging the axe, the ice axe like a giant claw, kicking knife-like spikes attached to his boots into the ice, moving methodically up the near-vertical wall. He dragged the safety rope behind him while Donini remained anchored to the wall, feeding that rope through a friction device that would snap and hold the rope secure if anything went wrong. The plan was for Daly to climb to the summit ridge and place protection points along the way and then pull Donini up to meet him. With only about 15 feet of steep climbing to go, Daly reached a section of rock where he couldn't place any more protection. And so he placed his hand on a big jut of rock and groped about with his other hand looking for another hold. And he thought to himself, this is it. There's only one more move and then we're up. It's been done. And then something gave away, and he began to fall. Ten feet, twenty feet, forty feet, a hundred feet, still he fell. He smashed into Donini with, his, with the spikes in his shoes and shattered his, uh, Donini's right thigh and continued to fall. During the fall, something on the mountain sliced through his rope, his safety rope, and 10 of 12 core strands severed completely through. Daly cratered into the mountainside, and those two remaining strings of cord held by some uh, miracle only two millimeters thick, and he stopped in a crumpled lump. Finally, Daly regained consciousness, and as blood dripped from his scalp, he looked at his lower legs and feet, which were shattered with compound fractures, feet flopping, useless, and he felt he could literally feel the ends of busted bone rubbing together. Somehow, Donini was able to descend to Daly, and together they tried to do a self-rescue, but soon realized that any movement would worsen Daly's condition and probably cause him to die. So uh, after anchoring Daly to the wall, Donini started on a 3,000-foot solo descent, which you just don't do. Within minutes of reaching the base camp, Donini uh, heard what he was very unexpected. It was his friend Paul Roderick of the Talkeetna Air Taxi just happened to be flying by that particular mountain at that particular moment. Donini waved him down, and Roderick was able to fly over to the ranger station, and immediately they hatched a plan to rescue Daly. Those hours that were saved in that helicopter flight proved pivotal because by the time the rescue was organized, storms were bearing down on the mountain and threatened to curtail any attempt at all. Racing the weather, a helicopter flew to Daly's perch and rescue and a rescue pilot hanging from a cable was able to pluck him off the mountainside to safety. And four hours later, a storm enveloped the mountain and raged for 12 days straight. We understand that mountain climbing is risky. It's not easy. It's fraught with danger. And the truth is, is in our own experience, in our own lives, spiritually speaking, the ascent is sometimes difficult. There are times when the beautiful ascent 
becomes the difficult ascent. Now, I do believe that the Christian life is a life of ascent. The Bible says we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. I believe we're meant to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, to go forward and upward to the greatest extent of our ability as God leads us. That's our mission. And every one of you are here today because you feel that way and you want to make the climb. Nevertheless, nevertheless, sometimes the climb is not quite as easy as it looked when we started out. Sometimes there are storms that engulf us when we're scaling those mountain peaks. The truth is that sometimes the climb is rough. No matter how inspired we may be, no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we think we know what we're going to do to scale this mountain, oftentimes it just does not go as expected. I'll give you an example. You're aware of it. Pastor alluded to it, but I want to give you the context. I was, I, I, I was uh, not, I don't think I had this sermon yet, but it was moving in this direction in the early part of 2016 last year when Pastor mentioned the ascent was our theme. The uh, ascend was our theme at the uh, for for last year, and we were rolling those first six weeks of 2016. We had a 21 day fast, and uh, that I remember that Sunday morning we came in here. I taught in the adult Bible class, and we baptized somebody that day, and we were on a high. God was doing great things, and we were ascending. Pastor had been preaching um, uh, inspiration, and we were ready to go. And that was the Sunday afternoon that my wife and I rushed Dawson to the, or to the emergency room at, the, at Our Lady of the Lake. And when, within hours, we were in the ICU unit with what was ultimately his leukemia diagnosis. And in that moment, the ascent became difficult. I was inspired. I was excited. We were ready. Let's take the mountain. And in one moment of time, it became difficult. But I am reminded of the words of Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16. The scripture says, behold, I have graven you in the palms of my hand. Do you understand that every time God reaches out to touch you, he sees your name in the palm of his hand. He has written your name in the palms of your hand. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what the difficulty may be, he cannot forget me. He cannot forget my state. He cannot forget the battle I'm in because my name is written on the palm of his hands. And so it was that after that first sleepless night at ICU, the next morning I sat down beside Dawson's bed and I pulled, I, I think it was on my phone, I pulled out this scripture that I've shared with you, Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. And it absolutely blew me away with all the stress and trial and grief and all those things. I still felt a surge of faith because when I pulled that chapter up, I think, as I said, I think it was on my phone, it said Psalm 121 a psalm of ascent. Oh my goodness, you don't know what that did to me. A psalm of ascent. And so when things settled down and I was able to, I began to study the psalms of ascent. There are 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 124, that collectively are called the psalms of ascent. It's not known exactly what they were used for or why 
They were placed in the Jewish canon as Psalms of Ascent, but most scholars believe that they were probably sung on the way to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. And that's why sometimes you'll read in the Bible, they journeyed up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a journey up, so they would be ascending up into God's city for the feast, and they would sing these songs. Another possibility is they may have sung them while they were climbing the steps into the temple, 15 steps into the temple, 15 psalms. Maybe they sung one on each step. It is not known for sure, but nonetheless, it was during a time of ascent that these psalms would have been sung. Here's the thing about it, though. We quote this all of the time. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. But we really don't say that right. We run it all together as though it were one statement. We run it all together as though he's drawing faith from the mountains, and that's not what he's saying here. He makes a statement. He says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. And I can just imagine the psalmist looking at mount, out at a mountain range, at mountains to be climbed, peaks to be conquered, summits to be reached. And he's overwhelmed by that. They seem unattainable. They, they seem daunting. They seem how he's thinking, how would I ever make this ascent? And so we ask a question from whence or from where does my help come? And then he answers his question by saying, my help comes from God. Or as the alternate translation that I read to you says, I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God. And then the psalmist goes on to to pin some of the most prolific promises in the word of God, while looking out at those mountains to be climbed, that challenging, daunting mountaintop that he longs to be on. And he begins to pin these words. He says, God will not suffer your foot to be moved. He says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Someone needs to understand today that no matter how difficult your climb right now, you are not going to slip and fall during your ascent. You aren't going to falter on your way to the promise. God's got you. He continues and he says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord uh, or the sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth even forevermore. These are three distinct assurances that the Lord will preserve you during the difficulty. He will preserve you while the storm rages. I want you to understand that as difficult as the ascent can be, you have a God that is greater. You have a God who is committed to preserving you in the midst of the wilderness. The promise is steadfast. Your help comes from no other source but Almighty God. And I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe you're seeking God to receive the Holy Ghost and it hadn't happened yet. Perhaps you look around uh, at the problems in your family that you face and you wonder, how did I even get to this place in my life? There may be someone here uh, battling a sickness that you can't seem to get conquered. You may be staring down insurmountable odds and impossible circumstances. But wherever you find yourself today, I have come to let you know that no matter your current circumstance, you are not making the climb alone. 
You are not making the climb alone. Paul said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You understand that all that Paul went through, shipwreck, being beat, being left for dead, everything he went through, he said, none of these things move me. Why could he say that? He knew that because his faith was in an immovable God. His faith was in a steadfast God. And I'm here to let you know that you can make it and you can ascend to the greatest move of God that you've ever experienced in your life to this point. Could you clap your hands to the Lord today? Not only do you have the assurance that you're going to make it, and you do have that assurance, but there's a purpose in the difficult ascent. There's a reason. God has a way of revealing himself in the difficulty. I want to share a little bit more of my testimony and to set a platform for that. Exodus 3 and 1, uh, the, really the entire chapter. Moses is wandering around a wilderness place, tending sheep on a mountain. And the name of the mountain is called Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is a mountain range. It's, a, it's a, a range of mountains. It's more than one, really. The Bible also refers to it as Mount Sinai. That's very important. In Scripture, it's often used interchangeably. You'll, you'll read Mount Horeb. You'll read Mount Sinai. In general, the Scripture is using the two interchangeably. It's a, it's a range of mountains, and the location is really the same as far as it's used in Scripture. Now, here's the thing. Moses is wandering around in what the Bible calls the backside of the desert in this mountain range called Mount Horeb. And Horeb comes from a Hebrew word that means desert or desolate. Desert or desolate. Why would someone scale a mountain that is desolate? Why, what purpose for ascending to a desert place? Now, hold on to that. After Dawson was diagnosed, we, we went to St. Jude for, for many weeks to, to get his treatment. We came back. You remember that. And then last summer, we had to go back for an extended period of time for more treatment. And we were staying in the St. Jude housing there on the campus. Very nice. Very, very nice. And we were in the, the thick of it, I guess is the best way to say it. It was the fight. And I remember, I'm not being overly um, evangelistic here. There was, a, there was a spirit that I began to, to detect that we, we began fighting really what I would identify as a spirit of oppression. It was just an oppressive spirit, and it began to close in on me. And later I learned that Sister Farrah was having a similar experience. And I remember that morning, uh, the alarm clock went up, it was time to get up, or it went off, and it was time to get up and go about our day getting these treatments, and I just, I, I dug deep, and I tried real hard, and I was not being very successful with getting my day started that day. I was feeling that, that tension, and I heard, or God spoke to me, it was not an audible voice. But God spoke to my spirit and just said, welcome to the wilderness. 
welcome to the wilderness. Now, you understand, I, I want to just pause and understand, if I had preached this this time last year, I thought we were in the wilderness then. I didn't, I didn't know that the wilderness was going to get a little bit tougher after the flood. He said, welcome to the wilderness. And I, I knew what it meant exactly. I, I, it resonated with me. Um, I knew what it meant. I knew that we were there to learn some things that can only be learned in the wilderness, can only be learned in the desert. So I began to meditate that and think on that. Immediately in my mind, it was almost in tandem with the word that God had given me. I went to this uh, scripture reference in Exodus 3 where God is working with Moses. And you, hopefully, this, this group of people, I think you know the story, and I'm trying to be brief and continue to move forward here. I think you understand This is where Moses had the encounter with the burning bush. And he sees the bush on fire, but it is not consumed, and he stops. And here's what I want you to get. God tells Moses, take your shoes off, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. Now, wait a minute. This is the wilderness. This is the desolation. This is the desert. Yet God says this ground is holy. This is my turf. Even in the desert, in that desolate environment, Moses, I've got some things I want to reveal to you. So there in the mountains of desolation, Moses begins learning a new set of wilderness survival skills. Skills that came in pretty handy just a few years later when he led a nation out by that same path. Skills that God knew he was going to need in his future. Fast forwarding and making a long story very short. In Exodus 33, Moses has led the children of Israel out. They are free. They are, they've gotten rid of Pharaoh. They're on their way. And Moses returns to this same mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. He's in the same place. And in a very pro- possibly the same place, he has another encounter with God. And the scripture says that um, God's, Moses asked to see God's face, and God said, you can't see my face, but I am going to pass by you and let you see me as I pass by. And the Bible says that the encounter Moses had with God was so profound that he had to cover his face with a veil for 40 days. No one could look upon him. What I'm trying to say is this, is that even in that desert place, even in that mountain called desolate, God showed up and he began to reveal himself to somebody. He began to show him the purpose for the climb. He began to show him the purpose for the wilderness experience. I want you to know today that God is with you and he doesn't just take you to the mountain to leave you for dead. He brings you to a fresh encounter with him and a fresh revelation of who he is. I've got to hurry, but I cannot leave you without this. If you go to 1 Kings 19, go home and read 1 Kings 19. 600 years later, the prophet Elijah goes to the same mountain. Look at it, Mount Horeb. And the Bible calls it in 1 Kings chapter 19, the mountain of God. Mount Horeb, that desolate desert destroyer of dreams, looming in the distance, declare, uh, daring anyone to climb your summit, taunting dreamers with your wilderness. You are called the Mount of God. And Elijah, most scholars believe, 
met God when he heard the still small voice. God wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the fire of the earthquake and all that. He heard God in a still small voice. Most scholars believe it was the same place where Moses saw God pass by. And it makes sense because if you read 1 Kings, Elijah came out and covered his face with a mantle, just like Moses did. In that mountain of desert, they saw who God really was. And the purpose of it, the purpose of it was to give them instruction, revelation, and passion for the task that set ahead of them. Moses left that encounter and led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Elijah left his encounter after wanting to quit the ministry, wanting to quit his prophetic office. He left that encounter on that mountain and went back and began functioning as a prophet again to the people. He called, the next thing he did was call Elijah to the prophetic. I'll conclude with this. I'm coming in for a landing. I want to give you, so God is with you in the ascent. He has a purpose for the difficulty in the ascent. I want to give you a glimpse of what it looks like once you get there. I'll tell you somebody, it's worth the climb. It's worth the climb. It's worth the climb. Again, if I had preached this last year, let's wait on the Lord, church. It's worth the climb. You're there for a reason. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care what you're going through. There's a summit. There's a peak. There's a place of eternal of, of destiny, God given. If I'd preached this a year ago, the event that I'm about to describe literally had just happened. I, I saw it in the uh, headlines and, and couldn't believe it. It would just fit so perfect. But on Monday, August the 8th of 2016, right out a year ago, the BBC reported that Scotsman Jamie Andrew became the first quadruple amputee to climb the, Matter, the Matterhorn in Switzerland. I think we have a picture of that. It's a quadruple amputee, and that's his climbing partner. You see with him, obviously, he, there was some assistance that he needed. He has prosthetic legs, and then he used special poles like ski poles for his hands. You'll see that here in just a minute in the next picture. Upon completing his ascent to the pinnacle of Matterhorn, this is what he said. He said, there was not a, cl- a, a cloud in the sky all around. It was just beautiful to be standing there in the summit of achievement for me. Listen to this. After planning, preparation, trials, and heartache that went into it. What really interests me is how Mr. Andrew became a quadruple amputee. He lost his arms and legs back in 1999 on Mount Blanc, when he was climbing there and a storm overtook him and killed his climbing partner and subjected Mr. Andrew to frostbite. But it didn't stop him. He tried climbing one mountain and failed, but he got back up and he said, I'm going to climb again. I'm going to make another go. I want you to know you may have tried and failed a thousand times. You may have limped in here this morning. 
you may have, all you could do was just lash yourself to the side of the mountain while the storm raged on. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll hold on, if you'll trust God, you're going to reach the mountaintop. The storm's going to pass by, and you're going to reach the mountaintop. I want to encourage you to just keep holding on. God's got you. God's got you. Let's, let's stand together this morning. I want to... I want to invite the whole church here in just a moment to come down to the front. I know we'll have some overflow into the, into the aisles. And, but I want you to get in as close as you can. And we're going to have a time of prayer, but it's going to be just a little bit different. What we're going to do is uh, I want you to get in groups of, of two, three, four, something like that. Probably no more than four. And we're going to have prayer, little prayer groups all over the front of the building because these mountain climbers that I talked to you about, none of them climbed alone. None of them climbed alone. And it can be a lonely place between the base of the mountain and the summit. It can be a very, very lonely place. But we're not alone. We're in this together. We're in this together. And, and, and you, you, I have you. You have me. We're, we're, we've got each other. When, when one begins to slip, the other one can pull them up. And so that's how I want you to come. And if you will, just begin making your way down and come with that posture, come with that attitude. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare one more word of faith over you here, and then we're going to pray. Come quickly, come quickly. Come quickly and get, get, with, get with some folks nearby. And let's get ready to minister to one another. Ministry team, if you'll help me out. As you're coming, as you're coming, listen, listen to this. Even though I am surrounded by oppressors, I am never smothered or crushed by them. I may become perplexed and it may seem there is no way out, but I still will not be driven to despair. Even though I may be pursued, persecuted, and hard-driven, God will never desert me and make me stand alone. Even though I may be struck down to the ground, I will never be struck out or destroyed. No matter what difficulties or obstacles may come my way, I will never, never, never quit. I will not faint in the time of adversity because God is with me. I am strong and courageous. I am persistent and undaunted in my faith. I will never quit and I will never yield. I am steadfast and unmovable. I am valiant and fearless, determined and resolute in my faith. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I will not lose heart. I will not weaken and I will not cave in for victory is mine. Let's pray church. Get somebody by the hand. Begin to minister to them. Come on, we're going to speak in faith. We're going to speak in promise. We're going to speak in authority. We're going to speak in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, God, I declare. God, I declare right now, God, that a power 
of Almighty God like never before would come over this congregation. And I pray right now, God, that you would speak and that you would do the work, God. Lord, there's broken lives. God, there's broken homes. God, there's discouragement. God, there's storms raging, God. But right now, oh God, you are speaking and you are working, God. And I declare the word of faith right now. I declare the name of Jesus. You're going to break every chain, oh God. You're going to break every fetter. You're going to loose the things, God, that are holding us back. God, you're going to make the crooked straight, and you're going to make uh, streams in the desert, oh God. And you're going to make a path, Lord, where before there was no path. In the name of Almighty God, the name of Jesus.